0: Welcome to The Lavender Lifestyle, the podcast on personal growth and lifestyle design. My name's Eileen, and I'm here to guide you to become a master artist of life. Every Sunday, you'll get new insight and inspiration on how to create your dream life. After the episode, the conversation continues in our Lavender Lifestyle Facebook group. I can't wait to see you there. Life is an art, make it your masterpiece. Hi everyone! Welcome back to The Lavender Lifestyle. It's Eileen. I hope you're having a beautiful day as you're listening to this. I'm actually so excited for you to hear today's episode because it might just help you recognize your own self-destructive habits and help you start to heal from them. It'll help you see your behavior and your emotions in a new way. I know that for me, it was really eye-opening and refreshing to just hear these new lessons that you don't hear every day. So today's episode is an interview with life coach, author, and hellraiser, Andrea Owen. Andrea Owen is passionate about empowering women to value themselves and fiercely love who they are. She helps high-achieving women let go of perfectionism, control, and isolation, and choosing courage and confidence instead. You can learn more about Andrea and her work at yourkickasslife.com. Hi, Andrea. How are you doing? I'm good. Hi, Eileen. Super happy to be here. I know. I'm so grateful for you to be here. And I'm really excited to kick this off. So you have a book called How to Stop Feeling Like Shit, 14 Habits That Are Holding You Back From Happiness. And can you tell me a little bit about your story before writing this book? Like what made you so passionate To helping women let go of their self-destructive habits.
1: That is a great question. So I did not arrive pleasantly. I, I was not born with all this wisdom, or you know, got the got the lucky train ticket. No, that wasn't me at all. So I actually learned about. I'm. I'm a, actually a trained life coach and, and mentor, and I learned about the life coaching industry back in like around 2002 or 2003, and it was way, way back in its infancy, and I thought that is the neatest profession. I definitely want to do that. And at the time I had just gotten married to somebody who I had been with for a really long time. And I said to him, this seems like such a great job to do, but I I would think that in order to be a really great life coach, you would need some good life experience. And I don't really have a whole lot of life experience. So be careful what you wish for. Because two years later into our marriage, we were discussing um, trying to conceive our first child and start a family. And he had an affair with our neighbor and got her pregnant. And it wasn't like I mean, obviously that's bad, but I, I think that even if he would have come to me and said, I made a mistake. I had this affair and now she's pregnant and she's going to have this baby. Can we still try to work it out? I probably would have forgave him and been like, sure. But uh, he didn't. He was in love with her. He left me or this, this other, other woman, woman that he had known for just a handful of months. and Then I started dating right away, which was a huge mistake. And I met someone whom I thought was Mr. Right and he was handsome and and funny and charming and all of these things. And turns out about nine months into our relationship, he had lied about having cancer during our relationship to cover up his opioid addiction. And he had drained thousands of dollars from me. I I had essentially been conned. I was in such a vulnerable state when he and I first met, I was perfect for him and he conned me and I was pregnant and it was awful. (laughs) I mean, it was so bad, but it was, it was really, you know, I was, I was literally like on the ground in the fetal position on the phone with my sister crying hysterically, she couldn't even understand what I was saying because how did I get here? Yeah, because at that point, this boyfriend had gone away to rehab and we were going to try to work it out because I was pregnant and he met someone in rehab and I had, so I had just found out that he had met someone else in rehab and was breaking up with me. So here I had given him another chance because I thought he could get clean and sober and we could you know live happily ever after together and and my life totally fell apart. And my divorce wasn't even final yet from my husband. <laughs> so here I am, you know, just in a really bad place. And it was honestly the first time that I took responsibility for my life. And I had spent so much time trying to engineer my life to look a certain way for everybody else. And I had also spent the majority of my time blaming everybody else for my troubles and unhappiness. You know, if if he would just get his, you know, shit together, then I would be happier and we would be happier, et cetera, et cetera. So that was really, that was in 2000 and early 2007. So I just really put myself on the fast track to personal development. And here I am two books and 11 years later.
0: Wow, that's a crazy story. I mean, there's so many things I want to pick at in there. I mean, let's let's start with what you said recently about like you stopped blaming others for your problems, because I feel like a lot of women or just a lot of people in general will do that. Maybe they're in a relationship and they're blaming their partner. Like if he could just fix this, then then everything will be okay. Like let, let's talk yeah. about that. What happened there?
1: Yeah. And it's it's not to put all the blame on myself. I mean, these particular men that I had been in relationships had their own stuff going on and did not treat me well, but I had to take responsibility for the fact that I had not listened to my gut that was telling me not to marry my husband. I knew on the first date with the guy, the fake cancer guy, he, I, something told me something was off. Like it seemed too good to be true. Like I felt like he was trying too hard, but I was, he was, you know, he was handsome and tall and, you know, <laughs> and I had too much wine. And I blindly accepted it. And I was really, this is of course was in retrospect because I, I was so unconscious at the time. And I just really would have rather been in,
0: a bad relationship than no relationship. So that's where I was at. But you know what, I, I mean, listening to your story, it's, it's almost like everything happens for a reason. And you were meant to go, go through these crazy things and hurt that bad in order to heal and build yourself back up. It's almost like a lot of people are not fully awake, and they have to kind of hit rock bottom before they start to wake up. Yeah, I, I do. And I,
1: For people that would have told me that, and I did have people tell me that, you know, when I was really in the depths of despair, I kind of wanted to punch them in the face. So I don't advise saying that to somebody who's like in
0: it, who's like in the weeds, but yeah. So, well, let's talk about when you were in it and getting out of it. What was that transformation? What did it look like? Well, the first thing I had to do
1: was look at My addictions so one of the great things because like you said everything happens for a reason I got sent to the meadows, which is a famous rehab facility out in the desert in arizona Because that's where my boyfriend was for like a 30-day inpatient treatment center. His family had sent him there and for those people that are listening that don't know how it works, typically when people are there, they invite their family for a few days and they do group therapy sessions. And so I ended up there and was learning about a lot of my own stuff. So I was a, I was a codependent. I was a love addict, which was something I had no idea about. My therapist had mentioned that I struggled with control and codependency, but I really – at that point, I liked the idea of changing my life. I liked healing like in theory, <laughs> but to actually do the work and shine the light on those darker parts of me, I was not ready before. So that's where it started. I actually went to 12-step program for codependence. That's, that's where, where the, the very beginning of the work. And codependence, can you clarify what that means? Melody Beattie wrote a great book. I think she wrote it back in the 80s, when probably a lot of your audience was just were just in diapers back then. But it's kind of the the Bible, if you will, for codependence. And there are other really great books on codependency, but in a nutshell, it's anyone who obsesses on someone else's behavior, they try to fix other people, to change other people so that they will feel better about themselves. Even if 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 you think this might be you, just Google, you know, what is codependence or am I codependent? And there, there's like a checklist and a lot of people. I think everyone honestly kind of falls on the spectrum with codependence because it's just part of the human experience. Like some of the things you'll read, you're like, well, that's just being human. But it's when we cross the line and we give up part of ourselves for other people. And this doesn't just happen in romantic relationships. It can happen in like a parent-child relationship or lots of different ways in friendships, but it's it's really common
0: So you went through this 12-week program to overcome codependence. What happened after that?
1: Well, to clarify, it's yeah, it's 12-step program. It's Codependence Anonymous And I, d- I don't know if I ever fully like do we ever fully recover from it? I think it's a lifelong thing but um Love addiction is another thing that I struggled with, and it's very much overlaps with codependency. And what that looked like for me is I was addicted to love and relationships. I made whoever I was in a relationship with my higher power. I would obsess on them. And I was just addicted to that first like feeling of falling in love with someone. And, and it's normal for people to... It's just part of our brain that lights up, you know, when that being in love, but I chased it like a drug and it's a really scary place to be. And then I also kind of danced in and out of an eating disorder, depending on how chaotic my life was. (laughs) That's what my 20s looked like too. So I had to really look at that as well.
0: And what would you say is like the biggest way you've transformed, whether it's in your thinking or your actions from who you used to be to who you are now? That's such a great question. And it's several different things,
1: but if I had to sum up a couple of the top things, it's... Again, really looking at my own behaviors. How am I not trusting myself? How am I not listening to my intuition? Those are related. How am I tolerating things that I know aren't good for me? Where are my boundaries really poor? That was another thing I really struggled with. I had poor boundaries. That's a sign of codependence. and. Also, having compassion for myself, I had really high expectations of myself and others. And I had to loosen the reins, if you will, to just give myself a break and other people a break for being human.
0: That's so interesting. And I, I kind of want to go into those even more because this is the stuff you're talking about in your book, correct? Yeah, so it's all the
1: things that we do as humans. It's the, you know, and and again, this was a huge retrospect. Like 10 years out, I started noticing that I was doing things like numbing out and isolating and hiding out. I didn't want to tell anybody about my, uh, my pain and struggles and perfectionism was really hard for me and control and overachieving. I was watching some of your videos
0: earlier and I think that you might struggle with overachieving. Or at least you used to. <laughs> I relate to so much of it, the perfectionism. Like when I'm listening to this stuff, I'm like, that's so common. Either I'm going through it or I have girlfriends or cousins who in their relationships look like this in some shape or form. Maybe not so extreme, but like to me, it's like, oh, I see it every day, which is crazy. What about like numbing mechanisms? Sometimes like I think we don't know how to deal with these negative emotions, fear, anxiety, we just kind of shove it away. But what happens? Like, let's talk about how to deal with that.
1: I don't even really love calling them negative emotions, because I think that all emotions, like what if they just were emotions? What if they all just were neutral, joy and happiness and bliss? What if that was the same as Frustration and grief and um, anger. Of of course, we would rather feel happiness. (laughs) But what if it was just all information that we are given? And so, you know, you're right. Numbing is one of those things I think that we all do. And I still do it myself. Work is a really big one with me. I would rather plan, plan, plan and and you know sit down and answer emails and get myself to inbox zero than actually sit in the uncomfortableness of being in an argument with my husband and things like that. So we all do it. I think that this is not to like blame and shame anybody who does it. I just wanna know, do you feel like you've crossed the line? Not necessarily into addiction. I think that's a whole different conversation, but just to where you your numbing is pushing all your emotions down into the sub-basement of your soul because they don't go away. In the book, I say, we can't bury our feelings alive and expect them to die, which I tried to do for three decades. We can't, we can't. They will come out
0: some way. So what what should you do? Or let's say like you have a friend or someone close to you who does that and it seems like they're numbing themselves. Or should you not worry about that? You should worry about yourself first. Like what Yeah, that's I love that you caught that. <laughs> There's both ways. Like, how do you deal with it in yourself? And then what do you do when people around you are doing that too. It's tough to watch people that you care about do that. I get it. But
1: the thing is, is we can't prescribe personal development or healing. And I think people tend to get pretty defensive when you point out what's going on with them, especially if it's drinking or, or, you know, one of the things that that has like that shame and stigma around it. But yes, worry about yourself first. And what's tricky is that many of the things that we do to comfort ourselves are the same things that we can do to numb out. I know some of the best health professionals in the world who will readily admit, myself included, who will readily admit to binging out on Netflix because they had a really rough day. Or just hard things happen and they will stand in front of the pantry and eat an entire tube of Pringles. And not that I've done either of those, but (laughs) I know from experience, but I think that there's a difference when you're doing it consciously. And this is what I teach my clients do. It's like, okay, when you're doing it, are you doing it and you can have compassion for yourself and you know what your cutoff is and you are also doing things that are healthier, like reaching out to people for help, like having compassion for yourself, like taking care of yourself in other ways. Then I'm like, go for it. Binge on Netflix or eat those Pringles. I just, I think that there definitely is a middle ground and that's what people need to strive for.
0: Right. But just not to forget to remember to be aware of yourself, be compassionate with yourself and and actually face the issue, right? Yes.
1: See, you should write self-help books. (laughs) I hope to one day.
0: Alright my loves, it's time to take a break with our sponsor, FreshBooks. If you're a freelancer or a small business owner, FreshBooks is an intuitive cloud accounting software that's the simplest way to be more organized and productive with your day-to-day paperwork. With FreshBooks, you can create and send professional-looking invoices in less than 30 seconds, set up online payments to get paid faster and more. There's even a new FreshBooks proposal feature, which allows you to include an outline of your project, scope of work, and a timeline no more switching software fussing over formatting and wasting your precious time freshbooks is offering all lavender listeners a 30 day unrestricted free trial so you can try it out for yourself to claim your free trial go to freshbooks.com/lifestyle and enter the lavender lifestyle in the how did you hear about us section that's freshbooks.com/lifestyle So aside from the numbing mechanisms, is there another like very, very common self-destructive habit that women do that you talk about in your book? One
1: of the things that doesn't get talked about a lot is the whole concept of being strong. And I think that we as people, not just women, have this notion that we must always be tough and have this tough exterior, but I think it's it's gender specific for women because we stereotypically are put in a category of being hysterical if we cry and feel our emotions, et cetera. So I think that many of us have put on this armor of being strong and we tell ourselves things like, I'm just going to muscle through this. I don't need to tell any, anybody about this. I can get through this on my own. And a lot of times we're praised for this. You know, we, we hear it over and over again. You know, someone's going through a hard time and people say, oh my gosh, you're so strong to go through this. You know, somebody gets a breast cancer diagnosis or going through a divorce or, you know, flunked out of college. Like I, I don't know. Like these hard things it's like you're so strong to get through this and and sometimes of course that serves us it does absolutely positively but also as humans sometimes we need to fall apart sometimes we don't feel like we have permission to do that And I got so tired of it. I was fired up when I wrote this chapter because I had that identity. I took that identity on and I ran with it. I come from a legacy of strong Hispanic women. And I heard, you know, all of the women saying like, don't take shit from anybody, you know? And but it's like, well, sometimes life happens. And how do we get through that? And who are the people to support us? And that's what I want. I want to change the definition of being strong to actually feeling your feelings and reaching out for help.
0: Oh yeah. I love that. Cause that is a shift in what we normally hear. Cause normally it's when you show emotions or you cry, you're seen as weak. And when you ask for help, it it feels like you're being weak and that's not the strong thing to do, but it's hard to ask for help. It takes courage to do that. Yeah. I think that we're kind of coming
1: around slightly (laughs) in our culture, more so obviously in the personal development and, and wellness and spirituality world, but I hope to see a change with my children's generation.
0: I hope so too. I mean, another thing is like giving yourself permission to break down and give yourself permission to feel the emotions. Because I think so many times, even when we're going through a hard time, you're telling yourself like, okay, just keep it together. Keep it together, like be strong. And Yeah. yeah, like maybe that's not the right thing to do because that's kind of just like covering up those emotions? Yeah, and I would invite anyone listening to think
1: about when they are telling themselves that what you just said, you know, the 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 mantra of keep it together, keep it together. Why why is that your mantra? What is the opposite? What do you make up that falling apart or actually feeling your feelings means because we yeah. are meaning-making creatures. We make up stories about our behaviors, about other people's behaviors, mm-hmm. about everything. It's just what our brains do. It's normal. And that's what mm-hmm. I love to get to the bottom of is what do you believe to be true about yeah. crying or about actually succumbing to what your body mm-hmm. needs to do?
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. I love this topic and I it's making me rethink – Things because I think in general, we're just afraid to fall apart. We're afraid. Of what happens after that? What what happens when you let yourself go deep into that negativity? I think for me, I just get scared that you won't come back. You know? I'm glad you said that because a lot of people don't
1: realize that that's their it's an unconscious belief and story that they make up about feeling their feelings. I call it like Pandora's box. Like if I open up Pandora's box, I don't know if I'm ever going to stop crying. And nobody dies from feeling their feelings. I, I I know this. So my dad died when I was when I was writing this book, and it was I had never lost anyone in my life before. Like Mm. not even a pet, so I was in for it, and it was very quick. He was, he got sick and was, he was dead less than a month later. And I was with him when he died. It was just he and I. My siblings chose to not be there, and it was excruciating. And that kind of grief. I'm also sober. I got, I got sober. I have not had a drop of alcohol since in six years. So you know, had this been a long time ago, I would have drank my way through it. I probably would have been drunk at his funeral just because I couldn't deal with it. And walking through that kind of grief proved to me that. Yes, I can pretty much. I can go through anything. And we are fireproof when it comes to walking through the fire of emotions. Yeah. And really, you know, here's one thing that I want to I want to say about feelings that really sort of turned everything upside down for me when one of my dear friends, I think she's been on this podcast, um Amy Smith. Oh yeah. She is so great at emoting and she's helped me so much. And she says like what if emotions are just like sweating? and then i i was like okay what if they were so and, and also like sneezing or farting you know like these normal human things that we do that our bodies just like know how to do and what if we just looked at our emotions like that like that that's why we need to get out tears that's why we need to like punch our pillow in anger
0: right or it's just a physical yeah thing you need to express.
1: Our bodies are the smartest parts
0: of ourselves. We think that it's our head. (laughs) I'm a big believer that it's actually our body. I love what you said that we are fireproof (laughs) with our emotions. You can't die from feeling the deepest and strongest emotions. It's just it's part of being human.
1: It is. It so is, Eileen. And I think that, you know, emotions, it's full contact, right? And we are so afraid of it. And we have done such a great job of figuring out how to push them down. Booze and the internet and drugs and sex. And there's so many options at our fingertips to distract
0: ourselves from it that we are afraid of the opposite. With this, do you have any techniques or tips of stuff like our audience can take action on today to start, you know, facing these things? Mm -hmm.
1: One of the simplest ones, I actually give eight tools in that particular chapter because I think the whole concept of feeling your feelings seems so abstract for so many people, even though it's just like this normal thing. This is like really kind of rudimentary, but I think that a lot of people need to start here is to name them and i think that one of the things that was so interesting for me was learning that i can hold more than one emotion at the same time because i was very black or white about it you know either i was happy or i was sad or i was you know afraid or it was an or not an and the truth is, is you can you can have more than one but the the first tip is to just name it out loud uh, what is it what are you feeling and you know like a like a toddler almost like learning how to talk like i am angry i am frustrated I am annoyed and it just trains you to be able to articulate what is going on there are some times when you won't know what it is I was just talking to a client this morning and she was getting emotional telling me a story and I asked her what the emotion was about And she said, I don't know and she felt like she needed to figure it out And I said no you don't because sometimes Just sharing something vulnerable is so foreign to us. It just kicks up emotion that's down there again like I was saying like you can't bury your emotions alive and expect them to die. And they will they will leak out. I call it leaking when you're just sharing something vulnerable and you like start to cry or get emotional about it. So the second tool is to, I call it controlled emoting. I don't know if that was already a term or if I made it up. But <laughs> if, I, if I didn't coin it, I, I don't know who, who did. But it's like, have you ever heard a song or pulled out letters from an old relationship and you start crying? yeah. Okay, like Adele. Just listen yeah, to Adele. To Adele. <laughs> <laughs> Always <laughs> that controlled emoting. So when you, uh, I had a client who had some daddy issues, as mm-hmm. many of us do, and her assignment was to go get out pictures of her father and get to that place, put on some music, have some privacy. You know, have an hour to, to just feel it and get it out and do some journaling, mm-hmm. and get some tissues and and see how it goes. Yeah. So you're saying you have to bring it out in order to release it. I do. I believe that if we don't release it, I, I use the metaphor of trying to hold a beach ball underwater, like in a pool. So you you can hold it down. Sure. It takes a lot of effort and eventually you're going to get tired enough where it's going to come out somewhere. And many times how that comes out is insomnia, anxiety, for some people, depression. And this is not to say that there, there definitely is, I think, you know – brain stuff that goes on. Having struggled with panic disorder in my life, I know that this is to be true, but I do think that unprocessed emotions can put fuel on that fire. It also can manifest in lashing out at people. I think that's where road rage comes from. And it's not saying that if you feel your feelings, you never have road rage, but (laughs) but definitely it can leak out to other places and you take it out on people that don't deserve it.
0: Yeah, and that happens all the time. I see that. It does. So lastly, what is one tip that you can give the audience from your book? Like another favorite tip to stop feeling like shit.
1: (laughs) Okay, well, I'll share this one because it's one of the major solutions of the book. And that is finding the right people who are, I call them your compassionate witnesses. So these are the people who, you know, these are not necessarily all 10,000 of your Twitter followers. These are people who have, you know, um, Dr. Brene Brown, she says, who have earned the right to hear your story so that your friendship, your relationship can bear the weight of the pain that you are struggling with. And if this person is always trying to fix it or kind of like strategize or put a silver lining on it, then have you ask that person how they can support you better. Because at the end of the day, when we're really struggling with something, all we want to do is feel seen and heard, you know, that have that person respond with, wow, Eileen, that sounds like it is really tough. And I'm not exactly sure what to say to you right now, but I'm just really glad that you shared it with me. That is different than saying, oh, Eileen, that sucks, but tomorrow's going to be totally a better day. You're smart. You'll you'll get over this. See the difference?
0: (laughs) Yes. Yeah. I mean, I I think for me even, like I like to find solutions. So when people come with me an issue, it's probably not the right thing to do, but I try to find solutions for people when in reality, they don't need to hear that. Maybe they just just need an ear to listen. Unless
1: they ask for it specifically. So what I would do is the next time one of your friends comes to you with the problem and you feel the the need to like Mm -hmm. jump in and either interrupt, because I know we've all done that before, (laughs) or you're like strategizing as they're telling you, is just say, what do you, you know, say like, that sounds super rough. What do you need from me right now? And that's what me and my
0: friends do to each other. Like, did you want advice on this or did you just want to talk it out? That's nice that you, you ask them for what they need from you. And that's really interesting. I I hope that everyone can bring that more into their friendships and relationships, because I I think I should start doing that more. Yeah.
1: And you know what they might say? They might say, I don't know. And that is an indicator, you know, because if they really wanted advice, they would say, I want advice. But if they say, I don't know, that probably means that they've never been asked that before. They are probably like, wow that was interesting like you know because we we tend to not have these like quote unquote grown up friendships and trust me it took me 30 something years to figure it out <laughs> so might be something really new
0: and that's okay if they don't know Wow. Well, thank you so much. There was so much insightful lessons and tips in this interview. I'm sure our audience loved it. Lastly, where can everyone find you online?
1: I'm at yourkickasslife.com. And then I like to hang out on Instagram, probably the best way to find me. And that's how I love chatting with people. Uh, Same handle, yourkickasslife.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much, everybody listening. You can find all the links to Andrea's stuff on the show notes and yeah, yourkickasslife.com. Thanks, Eileen. Thanks, everybody. Thank Thank you. Alright, that's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening to The Lavender Lifestyle. If you like this podcast, please show your support by leaving a review on iTunes. It helps us so much and also helps other people find the show. You can also catch me on YouTube and Instagram at Lavender, where I have even more content for the artist of life. Love you all so much. Bye!